Chilling greetings, everybody. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your morning, day, evening, whenever you listen, and wherever you are listening from. From the tiniest isolated village to the largest city, I am ever so grateful. Seriously, you guys are so awesome. Those tunes you just heard, as always, is courtesy of the lovely country legend Bobby Mackey, and I, of course, am your host. Tessa Morrow. Today we are going to hear about Massacre Rock State Park and some of the ever so bloody history of the Oregon Trail days. Massacre Rock State Park was a part of the Oregon Trail outside of Pocatello, Idaho, named after Chief Pocatello, very close to American Falls. You know, there are some places that I travel to and a name just kind of pops out and it stands out more than others. And it really gets my mind going like, I want to know more behind that name. Like Massacre Rocks, for instance. That's a very demand your attention kind of name, in my opinion, don't you think? It also goes by the names of Devil's Gate or Gate of Death equally demand your attention names. Massacre Rocks is a 995 acres and it's home to Register Rock, a gigantic boulder that bears several signatures from people that came through during the Oregon Trail days. While some made it to their destinations, others did not. This area became a state park back in 1967. Today you can come here and visit this beautiful area as there are just so many things to do. A nature lover's dream, hiking, fishing as Snake River runs right through Massacre Rocks, biking, bird watching, and just so much more. While today it's much simpler to travel, you can just hop right on into your vehicle, take a ride on over to Interstate 84, But back in the day, it wasn't that easy. I-84 did not exist, and it was the Oregon Trail that people depended on and traveled on, and many died on. It was much more dangerous back then, my friends. Many people would die while traveling the Oregon Trail. While some was natural causes, diseases, and weather elements, some were brutally taken away, as there are a decent amount of massacres that took place, one of them being the Clark Massacre. This takes place in 1851, just west of Massacre Rocks, decently close to Raft River. A group of Shoshone was being led by Has No Horse, And they ambush the wagon train that is being led by Thomas Clark. 
has no horse, also known as Chochoco, was a rather young man. He was only 20 years old, but he was a very seasoned leader. Little does Clark know that his world is going to be turned upside down and in just a matter of moments. The travels, they'd been going well for the Clark wagon train. And on August 6th, they stopped to take a break from their travels where Clark heads over to Raft River to hunt for some ducks. The Clark family, they have no clue at all in the very slightest that they are being watched. The family, they are ambushed. The reason for this attack was to steal the wagon party's horses. Instead of his name being has no horse, it should be still some horse. This is huge. Without their horses, they would not be able to travel and would most likely die. Hodgson Clark, he is shot and killed at the very beginning of this attack. He was trying to get to a wagon to retrieve a gun, but he was killed instantly. He had no chance. Meanwhile, an elderly Shoshone begins to unhitch the horses so they can steal them, and this causes Clark's mother to scream at the top of her lungs for this man to stop immediately. This individual, he does not take kindly to being yelled at, and he aims his weapon at her, and he fires. The woman's daughter, Clark's sister, Grace, hugs her mother as she is being shot. The bullet goes right through the daughter's wrist and straight into the mother's heart. She dies soon after. Besides Grace's wrist, her underarm is struck as well. She's badly injured. She just lost her brother and her mother. She has no time to mourn her losses, though, as the Shoshone are approaching her and begin to remove her clothing. Like someone being attacked by a grizzly, or possibly because she just simply had no energy, she fakes dead. They begin the brutal process of scalping Grace. Like, oh my god, I can't even imagine. But they stop due to some commotion and a dirt cloud coming their way. Thomas Clark had been a short distance away hunting when he heard the gunshots. And him and his hounds got back as humanly possible. The Indians, they believe that Clark had a posse with him. So desperately, they throw Grace Clark over the hill and threw rocks on top of her to help conceal the body. Believe it or not, the young woman, she survives. But she would have these horrible scars covering her face and body due to the Indians throwing rocks all over her for the rest of her life. The Clark massacre was the result of three people being murdered and several being injured. The year is now 1854. It's the middle of August and there's a six-wagon train with over 20 people being led by Alexander Ward. They're traveling the Oregon Trail and are in Canyon County. Their destination was Fort Boise, but they sadly never make it. The Shoshone attack the group. Out of the 20 or so people, only two would survive this ever-so-brutal massacre. Besides the two, everyone else was viciously wiped off the face of this earth. It's believed that what caused the massacre was an incident that took place earlier that fateful day. The Ward Wagon Train, they had stopped to take a break from the long trip. Things were going good so far, but you know, long travels, they needed a break, including the horses. 
The horses, they're eating, they're drinking, the people, they're relaxing by the river. When someone notices that a Shoshone is attempting to steal one of the group's horses. Mm, again, with the stealing of the horses, come on, people, seriously. Well, the group, they did not take kindly to this act, as, I mean, who would, seriously. And the intruding thief is shot. And it is this that is believed to have triggered that massive ambush and massacre, which, by the way, is one of the worst that was experienced back during the Oregon Trail days. It was very shortly after the horse theft gone wrong that they're attacked. Alexander, the leader of this group, he is murdered at the very, very beginning of this nightmare. And, I mean, it really was a nightmare. This group, they were completely taken off guard. They were taking a break from their travels. One of their horses is in the middle of trying to be taken. And they did not ask for this. They did not want this. The men, they're anxiously running around trying to protect their, their wives, their sisters, the children. But it's to no use. The women, they are captured and they are brutalized, raped, and tortured to death. The children meet a horrible end as well, being burned to death. Alexander's son, Newton, he is shot with a bow and arrow and he plays dead. He's only 13 years old, bless that sweet child's heart. His older brother, 15-year-old William, he's also hit. The arrow going right through a lung. Ouch. Believe it or not, the 15-year-old child, William, he crawled for several days with the arrow still protruding out of him until he successfully gets to Fort Hall. These two young, brave brothers who lost their father and so many others are the sole survivors of this vicious massacre. Journals from settlers were actually discovered, and they share a rather haunting tale of dangerous and sometimes quite deadly confrontations with the Shoshone. One incident took place August 9th and 10th in 1862. While the exact number is unknown, there are at least eight documented settler deaths spanning from four different wagon trains. 20 Shoshone were also killed. I found the journals on History Idaho Government, and it really does kind of give an inside look, a look through these people's eyes of what exactly took place so long ago right at the Oregon Trail desperately trying to survive. So I do want to read just some of those entries right now. On August 9th, Henry Judson wrote this, quote, Soon after four o'clock, we meet Jack returning on a strange horse in great haste to inform us that a party of 150 Indians have attacked a train ahead, have killed one man, mortally wounded another, slightly wounded three men, driven off the stock, and pillaged the train, and Jack had stayed all night with Captain Kennedy's train, and was riding along alone, and nearly ran on to the Indians. He caught a horse which had broken away from them, left his pony, and mounted him, and hurried back to hurry up to the scene. The Newburn colony and Captain Kennedy trains, and then came back for us. 
He also went back to the next ox train three or four miles in the rear and informed them of what was going on. We drove very late till long after sundown, and when we reached the place, learned that a mule train from Iowa City had first been attacked and nearly at the same time the attack on the ox train of 13 wagons, Charles Bullwinkle of New York, a little in advance of the ox train, was first killed. His four horses and $6,000 in money taken. The party with the ox train ran behind the bluffs after trying to form a corral. Three men with good rifles got behind a bluff and fired till one is wounded, and they retire having seen five Indians fall. The ground is covered with feathers, flour, corn, etc., Jack returns and reports having seen the Indians going over the hills, driving their stock. About a mile from the scene, we camp for the night, and soon the ox train comes up, making us pretty strong. The other trains have gone ahead to find grass. Our two trains put out a strong picket guard, of which I form one of the last watch. All quiet, though we believe we are being watched. Travel not less than 30 miles, unquote. Very eerie stuff and quite spine tingling. Makes the, ugh, I had such a rough day, I was stuck in traffic, yada yada, not seem so bad. Yes, I would prefer my bad day over what these poor people went through any day of the week. Here's another account written by Hamilton Scott. Quote, Past the American Falls on Snake River, this is one of the natural curiosities. The water falls 40 or 50 feet over rocks and makes a great roaring noise. When we stopped for dinner, there was a man riding back and told us the Indians were then robbing a train about four miles ahead, and they wanted assistance. Some of the men started immediately, the rest hitching up without finishing our dinner and drove on as fast as we could punch our teams along. But before we got there, the Indians had driven the emigrants away and had taken all their stock and provisions, clothing, and everything. They had gone, leaving the empty and naked wagons, even taking the covers off the wagons. It was only a small train of eleven teams. There was not less than two hundred Indians that made that attack. There were only twenty-five men in the train and a few women. They killed one man and wounded another in the arm, and seriously wounded one woman who was shot in the neck. We took them all in and hauled their wagons to a suitable camping place about four miles away. We will make arrangements to take them along with us. Here we found a horse train of about twelve wagons that was attacked at about the same time that the other train was. Eight of their horses were stolen and two of their men killed. The next morning, Sunday, August 10th, Captain Kennedy, with 35 armed men, started in pursuit of the Indians to recover the stolen property. When about nine miles from the camp, a band of Indians came on their horses, meeting the party. 
The Indians at once raised a white flag. One of the boys shot at them. The Indians immediately raised a war whoop and began circling our boys. They fought them for about three miles, killing two of our company and wounding several others. Captain Kennedy was mortally wounded, shot through the side just above the hip bone. Tom Newman and one other missing, supposed to be killed. There is now four or five trains camped here. Unquote. These two accounts I just read, I mean, there's just so much loss, fear, uncertainty, and that must have been very terrifying to experience. And guess what, you guys? It just gets worse. I'm unsure of who wrote this entry, but here we go. Quote, Sunday, August 10th. By four o'clock, we are on the road and almost three miles ahead. Find the New Bern slash Kennedys and the wrecks of the mule train of 11 wagons and the ox trains all together. We go into camp for the day, and the ox train close upon us had just 13 wagons in the whole camp today. We learned that in addition to the murder of yesterday, two men from the mule train were found dead beside the road. One, a Mr. Hunter of Iowa City, and the other, an Italian, who, with his partner, was with us when we first struck the Sweetwater River. It is believed that these depredations are instigated and led by Mormon men with white blood in their veins. During the forenoon, the men are buried, stock closely watched, while about 35 men, armed, start back to the scene of the murders to reconnoiter. Our camp is a sorry one today, scarcely a smile to be seen, and the jokes are infrequent. Captain Kennedy sells at auction the effects of the dead to supply the pressing wants of the poor wretches who have been robbed. I find a lot of books are sold, and among them I notice the unabridged Webster's Dictionary. Brought three dollars. Hank bought a little paper which enables me to continue this narrative. We have in camp four men going east with pack animals, just from Salmon and Powder Rivers. We invite one of them to dinner, and just as we sit down, an express rider comes from below for the doctor to attend Captain Kennedy, who led the volunteers this morning. He reports that about five miles back from the road, they come upon the Indians twenty in number with the stock. The Indians are armed with rifles, which carry two hundred yards, and at the first fire, a part of the volunteer stampede, Captain Kennedy, in trying to rally them, is mortally wounded. They fall back to the road, where an ox team of ten or twelve wagons, and when our informant left, were trying to keep the Indians at bay. Our dinner table is immediately deserted, Joe and Jack, with our guest L. Billman of Iowa, joining a party to go to their assistance, which is immediately off Captain Bristol, with a few more soon to follow making a reinforcement of 30 to 35 men. Our camp is on the alert, and the stock brought close in. Of course, speculation runs high. Many surmise as to the number, objects, etc. of the Indians are made. All are agreed that they are led by a good proportion of white men, perhaps renegades and perhaps not from Salt Lake. 
Some think they have recognized men seen at the ferry at the Pont Neuf. This evening, our men return along with Captain Walker's train and the small one before mentioned. The fight today, as they report it, was a very serious affair. The party of the morning were seven or eight miles from the road when they discovered the Indians and then began a running fight for that distance. Six Indians and some ponies are known to have been killed. Four of Captain Kennedy's company are killed and three wounded, himself among the latter and Tis feared mortally. Two of his men who were killed were left among the Indians from necessity. Joe and Jack, with 14 others, went too far out among the hills to look for the dead and wounded. They have had a hard time and are nearly tired out. The wailings of the friends of the killed and wounded can be heard throughout the camp and are truly heart-rending. One of the killed was scalped. Joe, this morning, caught in the river to find a lot of chub. Some of our boys were left behind yesterday near the falls to fish and came late to camp and knew nothing of the disturbance until they camped out. They caught a fine mess of fish and among them a nice trout or two. John is on guard tonight. Unquote. A Mr. Charles Harrison, he sent an account of what took place over to the Iowa City State Press. And it was released March 31st of 1911, so quite a while later, and it reads this, quote, Our train at the time of the attack consisted of eight wagons. Having been joined by one wagon from Leavenworth and one from Minnesota, we had 17 men, but five of them had stopped to fish, and they were prevented by the Indians from joining us in time to render us any assistance. We were passing through a very broken and rocky country, about 20 miles below the American Falls, on the Snake River, not for a moment harboring any suspicions of danger, when our hindmost wagon, which was about 300 yards in our rear, was suddenly attacked by some 12 or 14 Indians. They came out of a ravine on the left of the road and commenced the attack with bows and arrows. Riding alongside and shooting at the two men in the wagon, one of which was wounded in three places, but they still urged on their horses, until the Indians shot one of their animals, and by this means succeeded in stopping their teams and upsetting their wagon. The two men then left their team and ran up to us, amid a perfect shower of arrows and bullets. Mr. Hunter, who was captain of our little train, gave orders to the men to get ready their weapons and prepare for a fight, and right speedily was the order obeyed, considering the surprise in which we were taken, together with the fact that perhaps not one of us had ever been called upon to defend our lives or property by the use of such weapons. The Indians then began to circle around us, yelling and discharging their weapons at random into our midst. They could not have chosen a better place to attack us, as there was a little ravine on either side of our wagons. After discharging several shots at us in this manner, some of them rode up one of the ravines and, dismounting, crawled up through the sagebrush, which was very thick, 
to within a short distance of us, and we had no indication of their whereabouts until we heard the sharp crack of a rifle and the death-dealing missile came whizzing through the air, striking Hunter in the neck. He sank to the ground and spoke but a few words before he expired. The savage yell which rose from these pirates of the plains denoted their satisfaction in the deed, and again the bullets came whistling through the air, penetrating our wagons or burying themselves with a dull thud in the ground around us. We then moved to a position about fifty yards in advance, and a little to the left of the road where the ground was higher and better circulated for defense. Soon after arriving at this point, a bullet passed through the coat sleeve of A.J. Cassidy, cutting through his shirt, but not touching his arm. A moment after, he fell seriously, but not dangerously, wounded by a ball in the hip. Matters looked doubtful at this time, and our position seemed very critical. But we kept on firing whenever we could see an Indian, although with little hopes of hitting them, for they rode like demons turning their horses here and there, now sitting erect in their saddles, now throwing themselves flat along with their horses' backs, or completely hiding themselves behind the bodies of their ponies. Whenever we shot, we would swing our hats and howl our defiance at them, in a manner which seemed to scare them more than our bullets. They kept around us for about two hours, when they withdrew, carrying with them the plunder from the captured wagon and driving off two mules. We then moved to a place of greater safety, about a quarter of a mile from the scene of the action, and camped. Here we waited in a state of deep suspense for the return of our comrades, four of whom came safely back into camp, but the body of the fifth, an Indian from St. Paul, was found by some of them lying in a ravine pierced through by a rifle ball. Toward, we were joined by two large trains and rejoiced that we were once more in comparative safety. Some of our men also brought us the sad intelligence that an ox train of twelve wagons had been taken by the Indians three miles back, who took everything in the train, leaving the families that composed it entirely destitute. In the train, there was one man killed, one woman, it is feared, fatally wounded, and several men slightly. The next day, Sunday, about nine o'clock, we laid the remains of our fellow travelers into their graves. There was at this time nearly two hundred wagons on the ground. The body of Mr. Hunter was followed to the grave with a deep sorrow, not only those who had long known his many virtues and endearing qualities of head and heart, but also by many who had met him on the plains for the very first time, and had already marked him as a man of unwavering integrity and honor. We laid him to rest by the roadside by the banks of Snake River. On Sunday, thirty-seven men went to try to recover the property from the Indians, but were repulsed with the loss of four killed and fourteen wounded. The wounded are all doing well. We apprehend no further damage as we will now travel with over 100 teams. Unquote. No. 
Native Americans who inhabited this particular area, that being Massacre Rocks, had dealt with major tough times. They could not just jump in a vehicle, jump and drive on over to Albertsons, Walmart, Safeway, King Supers, Food Lion, Piggly Wiggly, Aldi's. You get the idea. Food was excruciatingly scarce in the area, and as these young women continued to give birth to babies, they knew that they would not be able to provide the food and nourishment that a newborn desperately needs to survive. And the new mother would be faced with the most gruesome of tasks, saving the child from a long, agonizing, painful death of slowly starving to death, they would take the babies to Snake River, where they would drown them. Legend has it that when the babies would be tossed into the unforgiving rushing waters below, that they actually would transform into another creature. Human features they would leave as they grew a tail, gills, and fins, surviving on the fish in the river. These beings, well, they're called water babies the lives that could have been snuffed away so cruelly from them, never given the chance to live, to love, to bond with their families. The river itself is plagued, and I mean plagued, with hauntings supposedly from the beyond angry and spiteful spirits of the babies who died here ever so long ago. Many who visit this area have claimed to see the apparitions of the supposed water babies in the river. Some have heard the sad sound of a baby crying, coming from the water, when nobody else is around. And this kind of reminds me of Kushtaka, as that is one of the ways that the Kushtaka would get people to come to it. They're victims, right? The crying of a baby. I mean, most people, if they were in the middle of nowhere and they hear a baby crying, they would go search for that sound, right? Where is it coming from? Is this baby okay? Is it with somebody? Was it abandoned? Does it hurt? It's just human nature to want to help, especially such a defenseless little thing. You know, besides massacres, people also battled with diseases that didn't hesitate to wipe you off of this earth in a freaking instant, such as dysentery, cholera, measles, typhoid fever, Tetheria, and so much more. While the exact number of deaths that occurred on the Oregon Trail is unknown, the estimated numbers, they're haunting. It's said that between 6,000 to 12,500 died due to disease, which proved to be the number one culprit. The main cause of death with these people. Attacks from Indians, they're second at between 3,000 to 4,500. Freezing to death and scurvy both have claimed 300 to 500 people each, while freak accidents involving being run over, drownings, and shootings, along with miscellaneous, each claimed an estimated 200 to 500 people. Thousands with hopes and dreams had traveled the Oregon Trail, and while they left location A, they never made it to location B. May they all be resting in eternal peace.
This week's special city shoutouts go to New Albany, Ohio, Bridge and Wells, Berlin, Germany, Asansol, India, Worthing, England, and Barrington, New Hampshire. As always, you guys, thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your day. It is extremely appreciated. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They're all spooktacular. Haven't heard every single one yet? Really, there's no need to fret. Just head on over to any of those awesome podcast platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Pocket Cast, Castomatic, Hub Hopper. Basically, wherever you may roam to hear your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. Thanks, everyone, and I will see you next week.